Hello, my name is Nick Spasic, and you're listening to From and Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk about The Ranger, the punk rock slasher currently making the festival rounds, with the movie's director, Jen Wexler, and music supervisor, Mittag Goodwin. Did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? And if you did, was she crying, crying? Director Jen Wexler's debut feature, The Ranger, for Glass Eye Picks, is a fun but brutal movie about a bunch of punks who hole up in a cabin while on the lam, only to be stalked and killed by a psychotic park ranger. It's been getting a lot of acclaim from everyone I know who's seen it, so I reached out via Twitter, especially after reading a piece music supervisor Mitta Goodwin wrote for the Modesto View, running down all the great bands he'd lined up for the film. After watching the movie, I was even more excited to talk with Wexler and Goodwin, and I think it comes through in the interview. We get very goofy, and it's a damn blast. both for doing this could you both <laughs> please introduce yourselves uh so everyone knows who's talking sure uh i'm jen wexler uh, and i'm the director of the ranger and i'm meta goodwin i will work as a music supervisor for the ranger so um i know that the process for the ranger started quite a while back what was did it start off as as a just a, a spec script yeah, so actually, um, I went to school at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia, uh, and I majored in screenwriting. And one of my classmates, Jocko Farino, wrote The Ranger as his like senior thesis. We all had to write these like screenplays for our senior thesis projects. And I was always just so into the concept of like punks versus a park ranger, because it felt like something that should already exist. And it just felt like so... Um, like like visual like I could just imagine what that looked like and I just uh thought it would be like like stylistically it would be so cool to have it like kind of have a creep show vibe to it and be really colorful and comic book like so I just kind of geeked out over his idea when we were in school together um but neither one of us really knew how to make movies at the time so um flash forward uh, about 10 years and I had been working um, I've been producing movies for a production company Glass Eye Picks in New York um, and I was starting to think about what I wanted to do as a director and uh, I remembered Jocko's script so I called him and I was like yo can you like find that like I always loved it can like can you find it and can we work on it together like updating it for our sensibilities as artists now and um like can i direct this and he was super into the idea so that's what we did 
Did you find that uh, working for Glass Eye Picks made it uh, a little easier to find someone to uh, help produce the movie? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, Larry Fessenden, uh, he's the head of Glass Eye Picks. He's a writer, director, um, producer, and an actor. And he's very supportive of, you know, working with new filmmakers and supporting new filmmakers' uh, visions. So just, you know, I've been with Glass Eyes since 2013, and they, I mean, I didn't know how to make movies before I started working there. He really, he and uh, Peter Polk, uh, who's produced many Glass Eye movies, really taught me how to make movies, um, which then allowed me, you know, when I wanted to get my own film off the ground, uh, because they had taught me the the steps of uh, how to what, how to put your package together and what to do to uh, you know start the conversation with investors, um, you know I was I, I was actually able to create my own materials. So I already knew how to budget, and I budgeted for a bunch of other movies. So I budgeted my own film. I budgeted the Ranger. And then I created, you know, a lookbook and I created my own schedule. So I tried to do all of the producer things as much as possible so that it was in a place where I could, um, well, first off, show it to Larry, but then show it to investors and say, look, like, it's ready to go. Here's the script. Here are all the materials. Um, this is the the plan. These are the festivals that we would, sh- that we would be aiming for. This is when we want to shoot. This is where we want to shoot. Um, these are, this is our team. I started building my, like my DP, bringing him on board and production designer and whatnot. Um, but really trying to put the pieces together as much as possible so that it became an, you know, an easy, uh, thing for investors to want to sign on for when the time came for that. How integral was music to this film? Like from, was it like from the start? Well, we always knew that music would be really important to the film, obviously. Um, And we certainly throughout the development phase and um, throughout production, we were, you know, just thinking about music, but kind of in temp ways. Um, We started working with a composer uh, during production, uh, Wade McNeil and Andrew Gordon McPherson, and Wade's in Alexis on Fire, and he's uh, also in Gallows. And he um, started, like, feeding some music for me just to, like, have in my mind and start to, like, be editing with in the very beginning. But then uh, during post-production is when Mitta and I really started talking and we shared the film with him. And Mitta, I'll let you take it from here in terms of, um, you know, like, he's how, how, like, everything became a reality. Because for me, it was like, oh, my God, can we really get these bands? And he's the one that made that a reality, so... Uh, yeah, as, as far as by the time I came in, it, it was kind of un- unfortunate, but you got to work with what you got to do. Uh, the budget was nil. So we needed to reach out to bands and convince them on not just the importance of the project, but the importance of having uh, real bands that represent uh, the mood, the, the motion, the energy of the film. And we were able to get a few that Jan really wanted. She wanted Fang. She did want a certain song by Fang, but they didn't have the rights to it. Unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of old punk bands don't own the rights of their own songs. 
So that was something we ran up against, but they had recorded a new EP on Dialing Records, and they said, anything off of that you want, you can have. And while look, checking out Dialing Records, there was another band, The Nerve, that uh, female-fronted, strong, political, social uh, band that came on board as well. Uh, there's two Avengers songs, and if you don't know the Avengers, they played the very last show with Sex Pistols uh, in San Francisco back in late 70s. And Jones actually produced their album, but Penelope Houston worked with us, made us made it happen as well. So we have uh, Teenage Rebels and the Good, the Bad, and the Kowalskis on there as well. So those kind of things. And then once we started, it started rolling. Uh, you know, I posted a few things, kind of vague because we had to keep it under wrap, you know, because <laughs> it was still in production. So the Graham, who later did a bunch of stuff and were like an inspiration on no effects. They wanted to be a part of it. The authorities who started in 1978, uh, it was, that was an easy one. I was friends with them. I've booked them in the past. I've, I've done music promotion for 30 years. So that was a strong part about it is having those connections built up and, you know, they trusted me without even seeing or reading the script that this was something that was going to, that they, they wanted to be a part of. And, it definitely, you know, worked in Jen's favor because her being a strong female producer, having a strong female lead, you know, that was very important. That's something that's unfortunately is lacking on all levels of art, uh, and it shouldn't be. Uh, so that was something that they got behind. They're like, okay, a, a punk rock film by somebody who actually likes punk and actually wants to represent punk, uh, not just as a caricature, you know. Uh, so that was great. Myself, you know, I, I list, you know, like I said, I've done music for 30 years before that, going to shows. Um, it was important. I feel that music in a film, be it the score or be it the soundtrack, is a, a supporting cast. You know, it, it helps move the story along. And so that was a great thing, uh, working with Jen and Heather, because they both had the same kind of vision that these, you know, they needed to be, uh, real-world songs, and so once once it was all said and done, and then we had a little bit of less time because it got accepted to South by Southwest, <laughs> so that ended up putting a time frame on it. it. We need to have these songs, and these songs need to be signed off before, you know, uh, it shows. So we really got under the gun at that point, uh, and also Jan was working on finishing the film at that time, and then I had to do sound production and coloring and all these extra things within, what was that, Jen, like a week and a half? Yeah, it was insane. Because everything was kind of, it, you know, everything was kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, everything really became locked when, after we found out we were in South By. Everything was still kind of up in the air. And part of that was me. Part of that was like, oh, I'm still tweaking the cut, and I'm not ready to picture lock. But then we were in South By, and then I was like, okay, well, picture lock is happening. And then it was like, okay, we got to, like, nail down our songs, and we got to, like, finish our score, and we got to... Um, so we, we wrapped... I mean, it was, like, maybe a month between finding out we were in South By and delivering the film to the festival. So we... Uh, but, but, you know, we'd been having these conversations, so it wasn't like anything was, like, uh, fresh. It's just that, like decisions had to start being made really quickly. But um, it was an intense month, but like such a fun month. Also, uh, it's really cool to see things, you know, solidify and come to life.
excited i i think the like i had heard of the movie when it first went into production just as somebody mentioning it's like mm-hmm. there's gonna be a punk rock horror movie i was like all right i'm in uh and then i i heard about it uh, a little bit later when i found out the adam age was, was had a song in the movie and they're a band uh strangely i've only ever seen play in basements um uh so <laughs> it was awesome. well, they're a great basement band they're a fantastic basement band. No, um, I'm, I'm. What I'm also kind of curious about is like how uh, how you became aware of Rotten UK because I, obviously they had to come into the mix sooner as they're in the opening scene. <laughs> yeah. So Rotten UK, um, you know, they're from Rochester, New York, and I think that uh, Mina, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're the only like East Coast band. Everyone else is from the West Coast, right? Yes. So, um, Ron UK, so we had a, a like, this uh, hairstylist guy who dyed the character's hair, uh, who dyed the actor's hair, Chelsea and Amber, to be, like, pink and blue and everything. And we were, like, talking to him about bands, and he was tight with our producer, Heather Buckley, um, and he, they're friends with, with him. And so he hooked it up, and they were, like, really excited because... They always wanted to be the band in a, a punk horror movie. So, uh, and on day one of our shoot, we threw this show in this punk club called Don Pedro, which is sadly no longer around. It closed like a week after we shot there. We were one of the last things to be there, which was kind of cool because we were able to like get it on film for like one of the last times. Um, but they, you know, that club in Brooklyn's been around for a really long time, and so we just kind of had this like epic. A show and had all of these people who came to see the show but were also extras in the movie um, and yeah they came down and, and it was a party and that was the first day of shooting <laughs> I, I was looking at the IMDB credits for that and just to like make sure that I had like names right and things like that you have Ted Geegan as an extra in your movie yeah Ted's one of my like really close friends and um you know, Larry is in his movie, We Are Still Here. We're both, like, filmmakers in New York together, and we hang out all the time. So I was like, yo, come hang out. Also, like, Mike Gingold, uh, horror writer Mike Gingold's in that. I don't know if he's on IMDb in the movie, in the on the IMDb page, but he is certainly in that club scene. Like, pretty much all of our friends just came out for this party scene. The biggest song in the film is the one that gets used the most. How did The Most Beautiful Girl in the World, like, was that, it seems like very intrinsic to the film. Was that in the the script? Was that something that was picked later on? Uh, like, how did that particularly come to be so much a part of the story? So, um, Jeremy Holm, who plays the ranger, uh, kept singing it on set because <laughs> he would, like, <laughs> use that song to get into character so we would just hear him like singing it to himself and um he did we did have a conversation about like you know music influences and stuff and he didn't mention that song to me but it didn't really register how perfect it was until like i heard him singing it on set and then also my uh one of the editors and i 
dropped the song into the cut we were just like let's just see what this is like um and we were like oh my god that works amazingly and then we showed the producers the cut and everybody was like wow this really creates so much uh you know backstory and it just like brings that character adds all this like like secret life to that character um so we got the song was it a difficult process in getting that it is a i mean it's an older song but it is a fairly notable one yeah we just had to go like through sony to license it um yeah but it was funny i mean like jeremy would sing the song to chloe who plays chelsea like while she was eating breakfast and like (laughs) before we started shooting for the day he'd be singing it to her so it just became kind of like one of the anthems of of production that song and also another anthem was um the song that they're singing in the van um the if you want blood it's yours motherfucker that was a song that wade our composers wade and andrew wrote right before we shot and then all the uh kids all the punks would be like singing it like when we were in between takes uh you know I, I like the fact that the design like goes towards like everybody's like jackets and all of the patches on there because I couldn't tell which ones were real bands and which ones weren't. Yeah. Um most of the bands on their patch the, most of the patches and pins and stuff are all fake bands. There's one uh canner that's on the back of Garth's jacket that's a real band and uh He's he's friends with the production, and he let us use his logo. I like the fact that, like, I don't want to spoil this for anybody, so I'll be as vague as possible for the those who haven't seen the film yet. But I like the fact that the argument over band names continues into a, an almost ridiculous aspect of the film. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. Um, no, I mean, when I was a teenager, that's like, me and my friends would just do that. I, I, you know, as many teenagers do, that would be a consistent conversation point for us would be like coming up with weird things and like, Oh, how about this band name? This is a cool one. Um, so I definitely, you know, Jocko and I wanted to incorporate that as a little bit of a nod to like kids like us. <laughs> so I know that you can find some of the tracks from this, uh, as a soundtrack, soundcloud playlist that i found through the 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 modesto view piece that Mito wrote but i've heard rumors that there's going to be an actual like soundtrack release that that is go ahead no you go Mito. oh yeah that that is definitely in the talks um the plan is if, if everything works out to be a uh gatefold double double 12 inch with the score on one side with a few extra things I'm not going to tell you. And then uh, I hope Jen knows about that. Uh, and then on the other side would be the, the songs from the movie. Oh, man, that's fantastic. I, I'm and Colored vinyl, very retro. Uh, I worked in the records, uh, record industry as well, uh, selling records for 10 years and the collecting, what am I, 51 now? So 41 years, something like that. <laughs> so my vision is, you know, definitely old, you know, soundtracks repo man uh you know some just the the aesthetics of 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 how they look and the artwork is perfect already you know the the artwork for the movie either the teaser poster or 
the uh, final poster, that's a soundtrack cover. That's a record cover right there. <laughs> I've you know, and, and I would love. I mean, it's one of those things. Is, it's not my final decision, but I'd love to see like uh, pink with splattered, you know, neon green in it. <laughs> just, I love just, it. I love where your head's keep at. That, keep that going, you know. Uh, but yes, yeah, so it's definitely in the works. It's just getting all the. Uh, you know, now we need higher quality uh, recordings and the full recordings for all these songs uh, so that they can be leveled and mixed into the, the order, uh, play, play order. And then, like I said, some of the other stuff that uh, me and one of the other producers, Andrews, were talking about uh, will add to the flair. And there's a few soundtracks. I don't know if you know the uh, Shogun Assassin soundtrack. I Yes, yes, I own that one, actually. Do do you have the re re-release of that, or do you have the original? Oh, I have the re-release. I'm 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 not. I actually well have, to do. <laughs> uh, which there was like a hundred made because it was not an official release. It just kind of they made some and just pretty much for uh, limit. You know, pretty much cast crew and a few people uh, have it. And I got one of those, and then of course uh, the six string samurai. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there's some of those films where there's little extras that I was like. That's that's what it, we need. We need to have uh, some some something that will make this when when you get it and you've paid your money, whatever it ends up being, and you start listening to it. You you're just all the little things that 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 will make it stand apart and above, like the movie itself. You know, make it not just not just okay. Here's your songs. You know, because everybody can go out and find these songs. The soundtrack, the score is different. You you can't find that, but every song that's on the, the movie, you can actually find on Spotify or you know searching on the web, you know individually, or you can buy them. You know by the by uh, it's a mess by the Atom Age from Asian Man Records. There's a plug, Mike Park. Uh, <laughs> but you, know, you can get these things, but you know the collection needs to be special. It needs to stand on its own. That it came from this world in 19. 19- 8094 <laughs> You know, how do I want this? And I know that was Jen's with the movie. It's like, you know, what is the movie? You know, it's like this movie should have been made. How am I going to make this movie? That all sounds so fantastic. So um, the the film's playing festivals for a while then? Yeah, we have many festivals planned. We just played Overlook uh, Film Festival in New Orleans this weekend. And we're going to Philadelphia on Thursday And we're going to be in Brazil at Fantasboa at the end of May. And there's many more after that. But, yeah. So uh, people can check it all out uh, via your very lively uh, Twitter feed and the Facebook page. Those are the best places for folks to check it out. Yeah, we've got info there. And we're also at therangermovie.com where everything's laid out as well. Wonderful. We're also on Instagram, the Ranger Movie on Instagram. Wonderful. Yeah, well, at hey, the Ranger Movie everywhere. Thank you <laughs> both for taking time out of your very busy days 
to talk to me. This has been fantastic, and I'm, I was very excited to see the movie and get to talk to you both. Thanks again. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This ain't the place, ain't the place we should be. This ain't the place, ain't the place we should be. Why can't you see? Why can't you Thanks to Jen Wexler and Meta Goodwin for speaking with me. The Ranger isn't currently available to view outside of festival screenings, but you can follow The Ranger on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ranger Movie to find out where it's showing. Its screening is part of Cinepocalypse at Chicago's Music Box Theater on June 22nd and 26th. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at fromInspiredPod, and you can subscribe to us via Apple Podcast and Stitcher as well. Please hit up the website and click on the Give Us Money button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees. And remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks, kicking off the official start of summer by talking beach party movies with the legendary Donna Lauren. Until then, thanks for listening. I used to be in love.